Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Today, we're going to be talking with Tim Wise. Tim, thank you for taking time out of your morning. Thank you, Dave. Glad to be here. Tim's a principal consultant at Leading Agile, and what we're going to talk about today is coaching, and specifically, how do you end up being a coach? So, Tim, before we get into the questions that I was sent by by a, uh, a person I know, how did you end up being a coach? Oh, man, what a great question. Uh, just start off right <laughs> great thing there. to drop in your lap in the beginning. <laughs> just drop it yeah um you, you know i kind of uh, uh i was playing around with with coaching and i guess just how i entered into agile in, in general where um was being a development manager and trying to not be a micromanager i couldn't stand micromanaging people it just wasn't a great tool in my in my tool shed so uh, I started looking for ways to, to uh, get out of that um, and do more meaningful strategic work. Uh, that was kind of my first implementation of, of Agile uh, in, the, in the wild, you know. Uh, and then I went through several other um, iterations of refining uh, both my skill set, being a team member as well as being a scrum master, as well as being um, more product owner coaching. And then kind of transitioned into, well, what's, what's really going on? What's really wrong in an organization and how do I design the organization to better function some more organizational design? And, and, um, I think that's really what, what landed me. I'd spent years kind of honing my skill set on particular practices and particular methods or frameworks or whatnot. But, um, it, it was really, that was kind of my jump was, when I started paying attention to organizational design. So did you actually have the intention, like when you, back when you were working on teams, managing teams, did you intentionally set out to become a coach or is that something that just happened? I'd definitely say it was something that just happened. Um, I was trying to solve a problem. Uh, and, my, and that was a personal problem for me of not wanting. It was, a, it was a, actually a, just me recognizing that's not something that I wanted to do. Nor was I good at it, uh, at micromanaging people. Okay. Um, so that was for me. That was my personal reason for the for the company. They really needed something that would be uh, more predictable in certain cases, and in other cases, they needed to innovate. Uh, so there was, you know, it, it was a nice win win all the way around. And how long have you been coaching? Oh gosh, um, more than ten years, right? Yeah, okay. somewhere in there. So I'm wondering if, I mean, because there's a, the person who sent me the questions, which we're going to get to in a second, is somebody who's considering moving into coaching. And and my path was similar to yours. I never intended to be a coach. I just wanted to get a gig at a natural company. And I had always been coaching project management just because I always knew more about it than the people I was around. So it just, once I got my head around Agile and I got sent on teams that didn't know what they were doing, it just kind of became part of the gig. Um but there's people now that want to pursue that, like they set off down that path. And this, and I got uh, an email from somebody who is a CSM and a CSPO, and she's considering either trying to become a trainer, like a CST, or a coach. And she had a lot of questions about coaching. Um, one of them was, what skills do you need? So if, if we assume that as a baseline, you have to, to be a coach, you would have to be somebody who has worked on agile teams, if it was Scrum at least one of the three roles for a while, hopefully a bunch of different places, I would guess. But what skills do people need to develop to be a coach? 
Yeah, and I, I think it's really important to to take a, a quick step back and just designate and specify what we mean by agile coach okay. as well. Yeah, that term point. is getting overloaded these days. And, um, you, you know, in some cases it's being uh, a scrum master and that's what people refer to as scrum master coach. is the coach of a team, but uh, yeah. I wouldn't say they're like an, a, that's a tough one. I would, that's a really good point. I wouldn't say they were an agile coach. I would say they're the coach of the team. Right. And, and for me, uh, that's, I, I, a scrum master is a very distinctive thing and it's maybe one variant of a, of an agile coach. Uh, right. But there's, uh, with scrum being one tool in, in their toolbox. And, right. Uh, that's kind of how I look at it as the agile coach themselves, right or wrong. This is, this is my perspective on it. I view them as having the ability to now handle more than, not more than one team doing scrum master duties, but now starting to operate as a multi-team level coach and okay. getting them to operate in a framework, uh, getting them to um, to be performant and to be high performing, um, and then eventually, uh, we we at Leading Agile call these enterprise agile coaches or enterprise transformation consultants is really what we've moved to, but an enterprise coach uh, being one that's more system-wide in a larger organization. Uh, that's kind of my frame of reference around it. So I, I didn't want to just answer your question. No, it's, it's really a good point. Going through and, and yeah. kind of defining that perspective on it. Now, getting back, I can't remember your question. Well, hold on, because there's other <laughs> there's other ways of doing it too. Like the Scrum Alliance has a, a designation for a team coach and an enterprise coach. Um, so I think maybe one segmentation is the scale or the size of the, you know, the the volume of people you're trying to help or the this problem space you're trying to work in, but what is the job of a coach? Yeah. And so with, with more of what I'm looking at, there's, there's that team level coach, right? That that's really the, the scrum master. They're really working to be the team's coach. Uh, and I think that's well articulated, well put. Um, I do view a, an agile coach is starting to look at the immediate system surrounding them and being more of the uh, the coach of teams, uh, where the the I think the the volume of the work is also a good way to put it in that one. They're starting to look at things like, well, how do we flow work to multiple teams, and how do we uh, lean out uh, lean out the production from multiple teams? Uh, what do we do? And then there's kind of more the the enterprise level, which is I equate equate to more the organizational level. Okay. So at, at an organizational level, now what, how do we begin to look at that as a system and, and how are we leaning that one out and how are we achieving the organization's goals for either getting something to market quicker or, uh, being transparent and predictable or, uh, are we, uh, what, what's the thing that we need to do? Uh, and how are we going to, going to construct the system such that it's going to facilitate that, um, that problem resolution. Okay. So if you're, if you're talking at the team level, you're talking about probably multiple agile teams, but you're somebody who's going to work with each of them, helping them tune up the way that they're interacting, their performance and a number of other practices around it. And at the enterprise level, you're talking probably with senior leadership in the company. Um, That's correct. But, but what 
about what conditions need to be in place or what steps have to be taken to create an environment in which Agile can thrive. Right, right. Okay. And I, I, I do think that anchor of the volume is, is actually a really, really good anchor okay. uh, to, to put on it. Um, you know, if it's a small company, then, yeah, the, the, the Scrum Master is, uh, or if they have a lot of autonomy, those are kind of the two conditions. Uh, if they have a lot of autonomy, a lot of, uh, a, as well as a lot of accountability uh, for like revenue generation or meeting market needs, yeah, then then you could totally see that as an organization in and of itself, right? And and the agile coach could be um, that could be a, potentially a, a leader uh, there as well. Okay, um, but in a in a much larger system uh, where there's a hundred, two hundred, you know, thousand teams uh, that starts that scope of the volume the the mass uh and that you're dealing with uh it's it's a different equation okay that's that's all okay so if i was going to go in and start coaching more at the team level let's say i'm evolving from scrum master so I've, i've understood the role for just for the sake of this conversation, I'll say that when the scrum master is the coach of a team, they're similar to a trainer that you get when you join a gym. The trainer's job is to keep you safe, help you set goals and try to achieve those goals, you know, while you're working out. So that would be the, I would say that's one way the scrum master coaches the team. Um, If they have that basic ability and they're servant leaders and they understand that role and they can teach a little bit of how agile works, um, what pieces are missing from the puzzle for them to move into a state where they could be a coach of multiple teams within an organization. Like, are there, well, are there other areas that they have to develop knowledge in? Is it, you know, stuff like soft skills, like um, emotional intelligence things? Like what are the pieces they have to go practice? Yeah. You know, and to be honest, most people try to move into this too quickly. So that's okay. the, uh, there are, there are a few people that, that are out there that can move quickly. So I don't want to dissuade, those people, right? Uh, they're they're really talented folks. They get it. They're usually in it because <laughs> there's they love lots it. of not talented yeah. people too. Uh, uh, whether <laughs> I mean there there are I mean or, or they just uh, or they're trying to achieve the wrong goal. Uh, okay. I would say so. The person that loves it that's that's actually um, going out and doing their homework, reading a lot of blogs, uh, catching up with you know the the chats online attending user groups and they're doing it to solve problems and to get better at their craft okay um those are the pre- people that tend to rise up quickly no surprise right they're doing a ton of work to get there they just happen to be having fun while doing it <laughs> so those people are definitely going to rise up the quickest um the next set though the ones that take take the classes and then say okay now what's the next thing or they've been in a scrum master position with a with a team for six months and they're like okay i'm i I frequently hear this too uh i'm bored yeah so now i must need to go to the next level because i'm bored i'm not challenged anymore right yeah i'm not challenged anymore and in reality there's a ton of challenging work there that they don't even realize yet for for those for those that are out there that are in the i'm bored camp in here after six months really need to do some reflection on how the team is and go read about some really, really good agile teams and then figure out how they, how they can become that. Yeah. Cause I guarantee there's very few out there that have, have found serious uh, success without putting years in. So one of the ways that, that I fixed that 
or that I, I guess my career addressed that was I was working in consulting already. And, you know, you go from one client to another. And I just found that while I never mastered, get like got, I never got a team to like the super high performing state. But sometimes I got teams off life support, and I think that was probably pretty good. Sure, yeah. I saw lots of dysfunction crop up lots of different ways. So for me, it was the variety of things that I saw go wrong that I think made me more aware of stuff to try to communicate with people about. Um, do you think that being a consultant who gets kind of shipped around is is a good thing? Or is it better to stay in one place and really get to be an expert at one team and get that team to the promised land of agility? But I think there's a, a combination of both. Um, and I don't just say that. That's actually what I had as well. Um, and that's my particular path, right? So my path generally was to help out a set of teams, starting with one and then moving to several to then, you know, let's say 10 or so, uh, and really hanging with those teams for about two to three years Okay. Uh, and seeing what what damage we could do, right? We 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 wanted to do some pretty awesome stuff. So we got we got uh, in that in that time frame, we we uh, we stabilized. We were very uh, very predictable. We were uh, we also challenged the norms. Became pretty powerful and came pretty doggone close way back in the day to continuous delivery. Um, and that was one of my my proudest moment. And that was. When I left the organization, uh, that uh, they they really tried to keep me in that organization. But I said, you know what? I don't think you need me anymore. And well, they did, didn't. Okay, so, that's what I was going to ask. Did the changes that you helped put into play, did they persist beyond you? Yeah, yeah, they did. Uh, now, that's not to say that they persist today at this very moment, uh, <laughs> but they did persist beyond me. There was 10 I minutes mean, there where it was just yeah, rocking. Right. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> but they they've actually taken it and done some very interesting variations on just agile in general. Uh, I've kept up with them over time and, and uh, you know, uh, there's, they've done some interesting work. I I don't think that's appropriate for this conversation, but, uh, but just, yeah, they've, they've definitely had their own flavor over time. So what did you, when you went from being somebody who was, you know, working with one team to, to multiple teams for multiple years, what were the areas or some of the areas that you focused on? Like, this is a piece that I don't get or something I'm trying to tune up. Like, this element's missing. I need this. Yeah, uh, it was definitely um, – so I tuned up a variety of things. One was just general agile knowledge and, and realizing that, that you know, I knew Scrum kind of in and out. Uh, I, I knew uh, I needed to uh, – to sharpen my my saw on Kanban, okay, uh, and I did that uh, as well. How did you and do that? Because that was a problem I had too. How did you go about yeah, doing that? Yeah, well, I tried a couple of different variations with different teams, and I was pretty bold. Uh, so okay. I, I would uh, I would tend to try things and and try little experiments here and there. Um, you know, we did um, kind of some no estimate stuff, uh, as well as worked on our flow, got it down to more, uh, single piece type of things. Also did it more in an emergency environment where things emerged, uh, very, very rapidly that were very high priority. Uh, so how do you handle that in Kanban? Okay. Uh, and then just different, um, I don't know. I had a, a plethora of different boards that were modeled after different teams. So at that point I had already moved from, 
working with a set of teams for a couple of years to now working with multiple teams and yeah. really trying to experiment with what works and what didn't work, how to get them up to speed and, and okay. whatnot. Did you have like so, a mentor or anything like that helping you through this? Oh, I wish I had a mentor. You know, for a long time, uh, the school of hard was, knocks was my mentor. It was, it was, yeah, it was the <laughs> school of hard knocks and and online. Um, you know, one of the one of the best things that I ever got when coming to leading agile, it's actually things. This is what I I kind of tell um, people that I interview for leading agile is that one of the great benefits to me was no longer was I a single me in an organization. Now I have an organization with. 50 me's yeah. <laughs> and, I have, and I have, you know, peers that, that, uh, excel in different areas and that they're all super bright and they're all super smart. So I really, really appreciate that about leading agile in itself uh, of having just tremendous talent on, on the team. But yeah, I didn't have all that talent. So I, I had the school of hard knocks and making mistakes and trying things and, uh, succeeding and failing and, and the whole nine, um, so I, I think going back to that question. Well, hold on. I want to echo the thing that you said about the people okay. that you're surrounded by because when okay. I when I wanted to I, I, I kind of knew the basics of it and I wanted to get better at it. And the only place I could go was a company that was an agile transformation company. And it took a few different stabs at it before I found one that um that was the kind of situation that you just described, in which I am, you know, very grateful to also have here at Leading Agile, which is being surrounded by people who I know are smarter at this, smarter about this stuff and better at it than I am because I learned so much from just talking to them about what's going on. So I think if you're trying to move into a coaching role, if you don't have a mentor, one thing you need to do is put yourself in an environment where you're surrounded by people who know how to do what you want to do and already know how to do it better than you do. Yeah, and do pay attention to... Um... I think it's important to pay attention to who you're uh, who you're getting your information from. So there are lots of people out there that claim to be experts. Um, <laughs> I will tell you, I still learn every day. Uh, so um, I forget the the lady that that wrote this, but there's a, a blog that that I read at some some point in time. And this is one of the the, the major ladies in in Agile. Uh, sorry, I, I can't remember your name right off the top, but they were basically admitting that they failure that they felt like an imposter at times, and that they f- felt like they failed at times. And they, yeah. you know, that's a very humbling spot. But I think that's also a mastery spot. So I would look for those types of people. see. And I and I would yeah. say beware the expert. Like anybody who says I'm an expert, I <laughs> run away from right. those people. I want the people who say I don't know what I'm doing. Well, you, you want a good combination of. of of both, I would say. Uh, so they do have to have a, a little bit of confidence in there. Well, right? like I, I have found success. Enough there, confidence to say failing. I don't know how to do this. Or about or, a particular thing that they're working on. Not oh, everything sure. Yeah, general. yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Yep. Which is frequently heard rattling out of my mouth. <laughs> so how do you get to that point of confidence? Because that imposter syndrome thing is very real for some people. And... It is debilitating for some folks. I mean, how do you get... I, I did an interview this morning with a coworker of ours who in the middle of the interview said, well, I, you know, I barely know what I'm talking about here. And the guy was so deep into this topic. Like, I don't know anyone who knows it better than him. And he was like, I don't know. Okay. And it's like, You're the, you are the expert, dude. <laughs> but how do you get to the point where you feel 
that level of self like security. Like I, I don't have to be great at everything. I can walk in and offer my advice and they'll take it or they won't, but I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Or, or, uh, and there's a variety of ways I could reframe that a little bit, but go ahead. There's, um, well, there, there's something to, uh, being able to succeed and, and getting them to think how you, how you need them to think. And that's part of it as well. <laughs> All right. right? Social <laughs> engineering to, time. Cool. Yeah. So it's social engineering time. Right. Uh, and that's part of someone's skill set too. I happen to be fairly adept at doing that part, but there are other parts that I'm not, you know, I'm way out of my league on. Um, but that's, that's really it. After you've had a, a good amount of successes and failures, you'll realize that, well, you're constantly learning. You're constantly upping your game. Uh, you're constantly working to solve problems. Some of them you, you will succeed at. Some of them you will fail at. What you seek, I think, in the end is to make those failures small, just like we do in, in Agile itself. Is We don't want to forego uh, you know, learning this thing that takes us a year and have it be a massive failure. So uh, that was one of my very earliest teachings uh, that I, or learnings, I guess, when I came to Agile was uh, a year-long failure. And I don't want to do that again. So I think that for me, as a as a person that's trying to learn and trying to grow, I'm I'm trying to also have small, um, small wins or small successes, uh, okay. or small failures or small, or small losses, and and knowing that I'm going to win more of those than I lose, and as long as as I win a lot more than I lose, well, then that's going to add up to success. But if I bet at all. It's one hand. I'm not interested in playing a hand of 50 50. Yeah. Putting, putting it all down against the house, you know? So, um, that's kind of how I approach things. Um, so I guess uh, to me, just because I looked this up while you were talking, cause it popped into my head and I never get to do this. I'm going to quote a Vin Diesel movie in the podcast. Um, <laughs> in the movie, knock around guys, he says 500 fights. That's the number I figured when I was a kid, 500 street fights. And you could consider yourself a legitimate tough guy. I think, failing small and maybe winning small over and over and over again. That's I, to me, that's what gives me like the feeling that, you know what? I don't know everything, but I know a lot. I've seen a lot. I've been knocked down a bunch of times and I know how to get back up. Yeah. And you'll also notice that there are people that, that, um, along the way you will meet certain people that just won't get it. I mean, that's the, the flat out truth. But they're generally sure that they do get it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and they'll be sure that they do get it, and some will have the idea of, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. It doesn't make sense. So it's all through experience and and really being observant and knowledgeable about about those uh, your craft and everything Yeah, uh, that, that I think gets you there uh, pretty – as quick as you can. How about that? Okay. <laughs> all right. So, so I'm, really, I'm really fearful of the person that's coming in that uh, is referencing training first. Uh, or certification first. Not that those aren't super valuable. Well, ho- all right. So hold on, because yeah. I'm going to go to a place where you were going to go, but for a different reason. Okay. If I am coming into, I'm I'm working in Agile. Let's say I've been doing, you know, Scrum Master product and role for a while, maybe a couple years. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm even I'd qualify for CSP. So I've got over three thousand hours of work sure. on Agile teams, and I'm just using the Scrum Alliance certifications as a metric, like a reference point. So. Several years of experience. I want yep. to move into something else. 
coaching seems like the only place to go. And I don't have any coaching experience, so I'm going to go sign up for one of Lisa's camps. Mm -hmm. Will that make me a coach? Uh, uh, so, one, I haven't taken it. This is a dangerous camps, question so. because you don't want yeah. to offend Lisa. But go. Yeah, it's, yeah and it's, a, it's a dangerous question, right? So it's, it's kind of like the same question of saying, well, does the uh, Scrum Alliance CSM make me a, a Scrum Master? Absolutely not. Uh, you know, <laughs> and it, and that's absolutely not right. It's, it's, it's how you are. It's your ability to, to solve problems, your ability to change the lives of yeah. people, all those things. And like the agile coaching Institute, when, you, when you're looking at them, they have that, uh, kind of this, this model of a competency framework of, well, now only part of that is professional coaching. Then there's facilitating there's, can we transform an organization uh, business mastery and technical mastery, which I see a lot of people, by the way, ignore technical mastery. So we'll get, maybe we'll view that one later on, but yeah, I, I, I want to come back to that one. Too. I definitely um, want to come back to that one. There's the ability to mentor and teach others. And overall that, that there's the agile and lean practitioner. Are you a practitioner yourself? Uh, so do you have those, um, uh, in you? So it's it's the uh, the principles that that you almost live by, right? So, okay. and I think I do think it changes you in that way. But those are all kind of areas that they would look at, and I don't think anyone can definitely look back and say, "Yeah, I've mastered every single one of those." I yeah. hope not. <laughs> so, but they can always work towards it, and and so I would say maybe after going to one of of her classes, and again, I haven't been to her her uh, sessions that they would likely be more informed and likely be on a path. Okay. Um, or could at least make informed decisions. So, so well, something you just said kind of hit a big point for me. And I think for anybody who's headed down the road towards coaching, one of the things I would hope is that you take on the mindset and you kind of mentioned it earlier too, but you are always going to be the student. Um, you never are, an expert. You're just somebody who's maybe seen a little bit more stuff. So going off and getting a certification is great. It doesn't mean that you're good at the job. It means you hopefully have gained some insights into what you need to work on to be better at the job. At least that would be my hope. Yeah. You seek to gain insights as well. Um, yeah, I think so. And I, and there was a certain path that you took to end up as a, as a trainer. And I've, you know, I've heard your story as well. I think that was a very valid way to end up as a trainer. It's kind of like the same thing of um, there are trainers that I know. I'll, I'll save the organization um, face, but there there are definitely trainers that I know that have to do business training. They yeah. they absolutely can't do, and uh, I would be scared to let them be a scrum master on one team. But they're they're training it, and I, I will say it's not the scrum alliance on this one, but it's. Uh, in, in another situation, uh, they, they would not, um, they wouldn't fare well, like hardly any of this actual stuff. So, um, that's what scares me about that, that uh, anybody who stands time, up can declare themselves an agile coach. Yeah. So it's the same thing, right? You don't want the certification rule of the day. You want their knowledge, their insights, their ability and prowess to, to really rule and, uh, to, to help you, uh, make that decision of, um, of being an agile coach, you kind of got to be it, not just say, yeah, 
Well, so so one of the shortcomings I have, like one of the reasons I have not applied for any of the coaching certifications, um, I have a, a weakness in myself, and and I want to see what your take on this is. I my understanding of what a true agile coach is supposed to be is somebody who can come into an organization, help them determine what they want to become, help them develop a plan to get there, and then help them move forward down that, and and help them be accountable to themselves and things like that along the way. And for me. I know that I can go a couple rounds of, you know, let's see where you want to go, but I do hit a limit where I'm just like, just stop, do it this way. It's what you're doing is not going to work. And that is a failing as a coach, um, I would say. But I'm curious as to your, like, how do you cope with all that? So I'll, I'll let you in on an experiment that I want to run. Okay. Um, that that I, I mentioned a little while earlier that uh, I like to fail small. Yeah. And one of, one of my... Uh, failures would probably be very similar to to what you just articulated. Uh, I have a great ability to let a team storm and to help them get to a forming stage and to a norming stage. Okay. But I, ha- I also have a great ability not to tell them what to do. Um, so I, over the years of seeing that in action and, and seeing it work and seeing it not work, there are teams that it does not work on uh, that for whatever reason, you know, they, they get into their, um, their, where they're trying to break out of storming and they can't. Yeah. Um, and for whatever that mentality is, you can run exercise after exercise after exercise. Well, now they're much easier for me to spot and <laughs> just right off the bat. So for those teams, for those situations, I would do better to come in with one way and to show them. It doesn't mean that I have to let them self-organize all the time. I'm trying to get them up to speed as quickly as possible. That's kind of my job. So for me, showing them one way quickly and then letting them uh, branch out from that is, in essence, it's it's kind of a a good solid pattern. And so uh, so that that self-awareness that you have of, one, you have to know what's going on with them, but two, you have to know within yourself when is it time to act and when is it not. Yeah. So the experiment there is, is for me to, to act first, uh, and see how that goes. See, see if it's going to work better for me, see which teams react negatively to that. I have a hypothesis that many mobile teams will not act, uh, react well to that. Okay. Uh, Mainly because most of them have been exposed to some form of agile and some form of autonomy before and don't like being told what to do. Yeah. So with that as my, underpinning uh, i'll seek areas of the of the organization that may have been stuck in just tell me what to do mode so they may need to be told what to do first and then expand on that so in terms I'm, I'm trying to go back to the person's original questions and in terms of skills to develop i mean obviously any kind of training is going to help so so the coaching institute agile coaching institute or any of the other you know professional coaching certifications all that stuff would definitely not hurt but um, I think if you want to practice a skill, practice the skill of taking risks and being vulnerable in how you lead and how you manage, right? So when is it time to, to take a more directive approach? When, when can you lean back? I mean, I have seen lots of coaches cause a great deal of harm with the let's wait and let them figure it out. It's the, Oh, yeah. It's know, a let, horrible after they've uh, run by the pool horrible, with scissors in their thing. mouth and had a terrible accident, the coach would be like, well, how did that work out for you? Do you want to do a retrospective? I'm like, no, I want to go to the hospital. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's, you know, I have an, an enormous amount of patience for that, actually. So that's the part that I'm 
consistently over my career, I'm tightening down on myself. Okay. Uh, so because it can be harmful, but I have seen, uh, there's an addiction to that. Uh, and that's the, the addiction of letting them fail consistently. And I think there's a judgment call in there. If, if you're, so why do you, I'm curious about it. the addiction because I'm, I'm looking, I look at it that as a, a problem from a different angle. So why the addiction? Yeah. So the addiction isn't actually to letting them fail. It's to pontificating afterwards. It's okay. too, uh, See, yeah, I, it's, I, maybe this is within myself, but for me, the challenge there is not the conversation afterwards. It's the, am I willing to take the risk of confronting it before it goes wrong? Like, am I willing to stand out in the middle of the, you know, concrete and say, listen, if you run by the pool with scissors in your mouth, these are some things right. that might happen. And if you still <laughs> want to do it, that's cool. But I want you to know beforehand. Yeah, totally. Um, I think you got it though. That's that's the judgment call, right? Right. There's there's a judgment call. But that's a, that's uncomfortable. Yeah, it you is. get a you get a a boost off the pontificating. I'm thinking about it like, ah, oh, I don't want to do that and tell them they're doing a bad, you know, maybe doing a bad thing. Like, but I'm saying that that your 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 actual tone and everything there is actually healthy. Okay. You're 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 deciding what whether you're going to. Uh, tell them the way or to allow them to find the way. Okay. And, and that's a, in and of itself, you know, you're, you can kind of nudge or whatnot, or, you know, tell or whatever mechanism you want to use there. But the, the one where you never tell them anything, I really, um, I really don't have, yeah, I really don't have, um, a lot of, of pity on that because we're not really doing all that much except for, I think it yeah, it's like they're paying the, you to stand around and judge them afterwards. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, you're an idiot. <laughs> and and sure that that person might feel smart or whatever that they're okay. You you're not helping. Wrong. It's it's obvious to everybody. What are you going to do about it? Well, they already know that they did it wrong. <laughs> you know, yeah. they they've just experienced a failure. It's it's uh, and that addiction was actually to feeling like the smart person in the room. And uh, sometimes you got to call it. Sometimes you, you got to let them know and, and to project out, this is what will happen. Okay. Uh, so I think there is something to being a, um, so on that line, I'm probably more of the truth teller of, okay, based on my experience, here's what I, I believe will happen. Yeah. Uh, and it usually hits <laughs> right on the head, but the, and sometimes it doesn't, sometimes we find unique ways around it. Right. But, well, and then, and then uh, when it does hit on the head, you have to have the self-awareness and the ability to pull yourself back from the pontificating because when they've fallen down and gotten injured is not when they want to be lectured. You right. want to help yeah. them get back up and figure out what to do next. And, and thus is the problem with the pontificator, yeah. the lecturing. So don't be a pontificator, new person out there. Uh, just, um, And it takes a lot of experience not to be that. Yeah, and a lot of self-monitoring too. So, mm-hmm. so what about, um, there was another question that the person sent in. I mean, those are some ideas of things they can work on if they want to move into coaching. What does a coach do all day? And I'm really <laughs> curious because I, the last two times that I've gone out for like, you know, out of nowhere, like I'm going to go do a coaching day here or there. Uh, it was exactly, once I got there, it was exactly what I remembered it being like, but I was just like, ah, that's hard. So what would you say the job is like a typical day for a coach? Um. Yeah, that's a hard one to answer. Uh, for for me, that looks like steadily making progress towards the organizational goals. Uh, and it's just like with that as my backdrop, having the organizational goals. What's the 
what's the next, uh, you know, 90 days look like and what's my roadmap look like to getting them to that goal. Uh, so for me, it is more planful and, and being very intentional about moving, moving them. And there is part of your day that is uh, a bit reactionary. Uh, you'll have as, as part of that, you know, uh, that ACI model, the Agile Coaching Institute model, kind of suggests there is a mentoring part in there. And there's intentional mentoring, and then there's ad hoc. You'll get, uh, when you're a trusted part of an organization, you'll get a lot of ad hoc questions as well. And you'll have to, uh, you'll have, I mean, honestly, See, that, you'll have to this, stave some of them off, and some of them you'll take on the fly. But. So this is the thing that I remember the last, there was about a year ago, I went out for a coaching day with a couple guys that we work with. And, um, we were in, the, in their, they had like a little workspace and every five, 10 minutes, somebody else was coming in with like, you know, this random question or that random question. Yep. But we couldn't get any work done. <laughs> we were so busy. Yeah. Like you're talking about planning. I'm like, when do you get to do that when they, you know, your right. train of thought is constantly being interrupted. So I think yeah, if you learning how to balance that. Head up, if you can't pick your head up, then that's, that's a problem, right? You may yeah. have to institute like uh, coaching hours or yeah. coaching corner or something like that. Um, just to, just to recognize that that's only one part of your, of your actual job. There's, um, you know, being that catalyst for change, uh, helping drive awareness through the organization and change management, uh, pieces, realizing that the organization has a cycle that they go through there. Um, there's, um, that one-on-one, uh, time with, with a particular, like say it's a product owner or product manager or whoever um that that you need to coach them through what does their new normal look like um there's facilitation of 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 the process and through certain um activities um like a retrospective um and if you have it then you can coach things like uh doing unit testing or test driven development uh business uh, or excuse me, behavior driven development, yeah. uh, different technical, uh, aspects of, of how we deliver. Um, and then from an organizational perspective, it, it can really, man, that's where it opens up for me. And, and you really find a lot of happiness, uh, that, that is where you start to play chess for, for me personally. Um, but you're talking about at the organizational change and transformation level. That's a much yeah, bigger game. Yeah. Than, like somebody just getting into coaching, it's probably not going to be stepping into that right away. Oh, hopefully. Yeah, they're not, and they and they shouldn't, right? Uh, yeah. If you do, then step into it in the small, uh, with a smaller org, and see if you can help them out. Which generally implies innovation, or some type of of um, you know, it's it's not it's not nearly as dangerous out there <laughs> for for that type of, of practice. There's lots of great literature today on how to innovate. Uh, innovating in the large is a much more complex equation uh, and that uh, requires a lot of prowess. So I'm so, not, again, I'm not saying don't go get it. Yeah. Actually, I'd rather people but take risks. But that's the risk. deep end of the pool. Yeah, that is the deep end of the pool. That's right. So if, I, if I'm moving into team coaching, do you think it's fair to say that the day would be divided up into three different, sections however you broke up the time that that one third of it would be that planning kind of reflection thing you're talking about one third of it might be office hours and one third of it might be just trying to tune up your skill set to help that organization uh and then there's doing so you got to fit doing in there a okay. lot I, f- I find that the <laughs> office eh, whatever for that <laughs> sit in the office it's safe 
find the office hours are fairly uh, small. Uh, okay. To be to be quite honest, it, it's once you get it down to that level, then there's a little community there. Um, but there are different things like working with um, working with the executive side takes takes a while. Uh, getting relationships uh, to where they need to be in an organization takes a while, making sure you're their trusted advisor and that you've earned that. Um, those all take time and they, they take nurturing and they take uh, maturity. Um, and that's and the then, social engineering side of it. I mean, social engineering in a positive intentioned way, not in a, I'm going to go hack and rob you, but I'm going to build a trusted relationship with you so that we can do things together. Yeah, I mean it's a partnership. Yeah. It's it's the easiest way that I know to describe that. So you want to partner with those those people, as well as you you need to partner with the teams and and everyone else. So uh, all of it needs to be towards common goals. That's at the end of the day, that's what it's what we're they're doing. Um, that doesn't mean there aren't different little takes and flavors on it, but partnering at the delivery team level may may look like okay i'm going to help you show you what a retrospective looks like and here's um here's me actually facilitating you through it or working yeah. with the person facilitating you through it um so there's a lot of different ways to tackle that that very tactical stuff in there but once you see them self-improving then at this level you can kind of take a step back and and start to say okay you, you got that part of it it's their job to learn and to grow from there. So I'm sure we can show them some more advanced stuff, but hey, it's it's their job. So two more skills to work on then would be um, the social aspect of your game. Like how can I build trusting relationships with you know all the people around me, and even the ones that I don't like. I need to find common ground where we can move forward together. Uh, and then maybe the other one is understanding when you need to pull back and let go and let things happen. Yeah, I think that's the beginning Agile coaches uh, model as well. Yeah, uh, I mean, honestly, coming in from from the outside, sometimes there I run into folks that that um, that will never get to a common ground and fundamentally opposed. You know, well, and, um, and I guess knowing when you find somebody that you're not going to reach that with. Yeah. If you so, can't get what there. do you do? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, I think I've shared this with you before, but I think it's worth putting out there that uh, I had a person that was uh, pitching um, how great Waterfall was more than yeah. than Agile. And, you know, luckily there was enough uh, trusted partnerships around the organization. And, and I mean, the comment back was, well, where are all the Agile or where are all the uh, Waterfall conferences, right? Yeah. So that's a, <laughs> that's a moment where I'm like, oh, sweet, sweet. You know, yeah. uh, that's the right answer. We've matured on from there. But, um, but they do happen. That, that actually occurred. <laughs> yeah. Um, you got to be uh, You got to be aware. ready for that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. I want to mention one thing about the office hours. So um, one of the things I think if you're moving into coaching, you have to have an, a, a greater awareness of maybe is your own um, capacity to to work. I mean, you're, you're really there kind of like an agile bodhisattva. Like your job is to help other people down the path. And that takes a toll. There's a, there's a cost that you pay along with that. I did one uh, on client site. I was teaching and they asked me to stick around and do a day of coaching. And I said, sure. And it ended up being nine hours of office hours in 20 minute <laughs> segments all day long with no break. Like even the lunch break was a coaching thing. So 
um, I hadn't really anticipated that that was going to happen that way, and it's my own fault. But what happened was after, I mean, the first kind of hour, I was kind of warming up. After that, it was great for about three hours. The last couple hours, I don't even remember what I said to people <laughs> because I was so, I mean, it's it's exhausting to like yeah, dive into be. somebody's situation really fast and dig deep and try and come up with some things to try. It can wear you down, or at least it wears me down. Maybe not other people, but... Yeah, I get energized, but then there's definitely a drop off at the at the end. Yeah. Uh, it's but when it's in the moment, I I do not get a drop off. Uh, it just stays. The the more complex, the better. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. how I kind of look at it. But you need I, awareness of that within yourself, and to know like that was a failing. I should have said, look, I I can't be effective right now, and this I should take a break, and I didn't do that. So I had one organization that was uh, a business unit. A, a, couple billion dollar business unit inside of a much larger organization and they they ran an open space they they uh had uh facilitated that uh for two or three years and then i held um during that time didn't want it to be an outside in perspective they wanted it to be internal okay uh, but they wanted a way to reach me so they they stuck me in a small room right yeah uh, and said okay for for anything that we can ask, we're going to send them down the hall to you, and uh, that was a that was an awesome day because it was a lot of business units and and I heard many many problems from how do I run this retrospective yeah. to how do I how do I redesign what's going wrong with my PMO? You get a how great sense of the organization when that kind of stuff's going on. <laughs> yeah, so it, it was it was very interesting uh, of of uh, taking the breadth of those questions. It was it was a very energizing, but at the same time, at the end of the day, it was it, it could be very depleting yeah. as well. Okay. So I got one more question for you. This is the last question the person asked in the email, and and you're I'm I want to preface it by saying that I know that your answer to this might be different than somebody who's just doing straight up team coaching or getting started with that. But how much selling are you required to do in the role of being a natural coach? So. Do you want me to answer that from the team level or something? Different? Well, start out with the, like when you got started doing this. Is that part of the job? You know, the funny thing is, when I got started doing this, the team sold me. I was okay. trying to solve. So um, it, it kind of depends. If you have a team that doesn't want to go, and I've had those two, <coughs> uh, then you got to figure out why they don't want to go. Because, I mean, it's pretty obvious that, uh, at least to me, that there, this is a much better environment. If yeah. we don't have a lot of organizational impediments, it can also be, um, you know, the the impediment that would stick out like a sore thumb is uh, we've just told you your deadline and you have all this stuff. Now iterate your way to it. Um, and without asking the team their opinion or explaining anything or anything, you know, so you can yeah. still have death marches on this stuff. Uh, and teams have experienced that with with poor coaching. Right with poor systems and poor ways of setup and people not getting it. So there's no, no fault of theirs. They just may not uh, yeah. be with you and you need to explain how it's different. Take time and explain why it's going to be different. And, and uh, I think that's a real commitment on yeah. the part of the agile coach to the team is to not, um, not just stand okay. on the sidelines and let that crap happen, but actually do something about it and, uh, and to help them, uh, be better than they were yesterday, but also at the same time, 
It's all right. So it's interesting to me that you went straight to the um, selling the team on the value of coaching. I originally interpreted the question as selling work to the organization you're in, um, which I guess I guess there's an aspect of me that wants to say, regardless of which side you're looking at, you should always be. It's like that Glenn Gary Glenn Ross thing of always be closing. Like you always. should, but always you're be always closing. selling because you're <laughs> always trying to to leave any room you're in. I think you want to leave with the perception that you brought value, and they need more. Um, so maybe it's not overt selling, but you are trying to build that desire. There's two schools of thought on this one. Um, okay. And I happen to be partial to one of them, but I use both. Uh, one school of thought says, um, I'm going to show out so much. It's going to be undeniable that you also want to do this. And that the people that I work with are also going to be so stinking happy that they're also going to um, go out and sell it for you. You're going to be like, yeah, we're having a great time. We had You're successes. You're creating evangelists everywhere you go. Yeah. Uh, because... And that's not necessarily every team that you work with. It's some teams that you work right. with. Right. Uh, and some of them, they will only realize it a year, a year and a half after you're gone. Yeah. Uh, so that's <laughs> that's the reality. Um, and, and it's still a good compliment, right? But it still may take a little bit. Um, and then there's also intentional of selling throughout an organization. And I, I, I don't like the word selling, but um, I don't know. It just gives me that icky feeling. But... Uh, nevertheless, there's, I think there's listening to people and explaining how there's a constant explanation of, of, okay, I, I hear you. Uh, what if we did this Yeah. and what would that look like? How would that affect you? What else would go wrong? And then peeling back the layers of the onion. I, I think that's where you're getting into more organizational issues and solving those, um, outright. So, um, so I'm guessing that you common. fall more towards the second description than the um, first. Yeah, kind of. Uh, these days, anyway, uh, there's definitely if I don't see value, then it, it's you know why why am I doing it? But you know, I've I've done that for for quite a long time, and and uh, I know I'm going to see value. I think that, I think that part of that's a confidence thing too, because I mean I. Um, there are definitely the people who like will walk into an organization and set something on fire so they can put it out and be like, look, I put out the fire, you know? Right. And then there's the other ones who just like do these. To me, it's uh, a great demonstration of the confidence and the skill is, is the ability to do it in a not like a kind of banny rooster, like look at me way, but to just bring the value and let it speak for itself. Yeah, it needs to itself. speak for itself. Yeah. Yeah. That, that doesn't mean that you don't celebrate and everything, but I think there's some magic in there that's celebrating the team and not yourself yeah. um, of being selfless. and or, or the change that the organization has been able to adopt. I mean, that is definitely something to yeah. celebrate. Yeah. But not like you brought the change, but they changed. You just were there to help. Yeah, uh, that's the, I think that's the, uh, it, that should be a, a, a great goal. Uh, yeah. And, and there's, there's part of it in order to keep doing the things that we do, in order to keep... Um, the recognition up that it, it is a good change that you, there is in truth, there is a little bit of selling there of awareness really. Uh, but it's comparing apples and oranges, man. When yeah. you start, when you start going down that road, it's, it's really difficult. Of, um, you know, I've seen all kind of wonky stuff there Yeah. of trying to compare this one to that one. And at the end of the day, it's value, um, value creation. 
Okay. And yeah. Cool. I got one last question before we go. Um, what is the one thing that you wish somebody had told you before you started down the path of coaching? Like the thing, the bad thing that you didn't know about that you're like, oh, why didn't they tell me this was going to be here? Hmm. Wow, that's a that's a good one. I, I don't think I would hit this one on the head without some serious thought. But, um, you know, I think that a lot of coaches view themselves. Here's the common pattern that I see. I see a lot of coaches that do what I did. And they they've come out and they've made a team or they've made this set of teams awesome. And they've pr- at least participated in that. Yeah. And they come out of that and they're like, that was fantastic. That was great. That felt so good. And now I'm going to go do that for my career. And what they don't realize and what I didn't realize. That that was just is, the one time. Is that there are so many. <laughs> you had a hit, hit single first there time so out. so many really, really sick teams, right, that, that, um, yes. that really need our help. And part of, you know, the majority of them, if you just move the needle a little bit, then you're doing great things for them. Well, you you never know when those seeds are going to germinate too. Like you could plant a seed for a team member that's not going to kick in for five to ten years, but you put it there. Yeah, you put it there. You and you make that. I mean, honestly, there's ne- there's never a team that just gets nothing out of the experience. They they generally get something uh, positive, and they they uh, they have a, a decent time and see. Uh, see something they didn't before. It's one or the one or two people yeah. that become outstanding, and every once in a while you get an entire team of of just uh, really, really captivating people that are that are just fun to watch as as they go through their their cycle. But um, I mean, most of the people that that are honestly that are hearing about this agile thing for the first time are laggards. So um, you get a lot of laggards. Um, and also, you get a lot of people that it has failed for um, because things weren't set up the right yeah. way. So you get a lot of pessimists. Yep. Uh, and then lastly, you get a lot of people that think that they're doing it the right way. And in truth... Well, they're different and they're special, Tim. Right. I don't think yeah, you yeah. understand. So the, the, uh, <laughs> and in truth, there's never a right way. Uh, that generally indicates that they don't have enough experience. Um, you know, yeah. you'll get, you're not agile thrown up or whatever the case may be. And, uh, and with a little bit more experience than they'll, then they'll be well on their way. Um, but cool. yeah, I, I guess, uh, that, and if someone, uh, actually makes me, uh, explain user stories, uh, for another three days at a time, then that might be disheartening to me, but. <laughs> but I don't mind. I'll, uh, <laughs> I'll definitely uh, explain away the the user story uh, one more time. So it's yeah, it's uh, it's, it's the great, classics. You got to play the classics. Got to play the People classics. Yeah. On that Free one, I, on that one, I think you kind of <laughs> feel like uh, yeah. So you might feel like you're you're Leonard Skinner playing Freebird again. You're like, yeah. <laughs> let's just make up a new solo. Right, yeah. Let's go for it. But people like the hits. Cool. So people like the hits. That's the other thing for you, new agile coach. Keep it a little bit fresh every now and then for you is is to try something new. Don't forget to try something new for yourself. My last one looked like a portfolio level retrospective that mixed in the seven habits of highly effective people. 
Wow. Uh, and how we retrospected around that and how to be more effective and successful. I didn't know if it would work. It seemed to work very well, and I really enjoyed it. So. Well, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think that is one thing that I would add is that you have to have a way of like metrics you can use to gauge your performance that aren't entirely hinging on external things you can't control. You can't control whether or not the organization of the team takes to what you're saying. You can only control your ability to, or, or how you present, how you show up, what you do with your time there. Um, and I think, you know, you obviously want the team to get to a more high performing state, but having a way of, you know, am I putting myself at risk? Am I trying new things? Am I learning? Um, stuff like that is really important. Yeah, I'd say so. That's kind of me by default. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'd say that's important. Cool. So if folks want to get in touch with you with, with questions about this, what's the best way to reach you? Uh, Tim at leadingagile.com. That's probably the easiest one to remember. You can always reach me out on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. My handle is Tim S. Wise at Tim S. Wise. And uh, yeah, see you out there. Or they can come to one of the uh, Scrum Atlanta user group oh, yeah, events, which will always things, be right? at. Yeah. So I'll make sure to include links to that. Do you want to pitch anything that's coming up? Yeah. So this month, uh, I'm not sure if this will go out in time for us to catch it, but this month on the fourth Wednesday of uh, September, uh, we will have a special one. It's anyone can join because it's going to be online. Uh, it's a virtual one. We very rarely do one of those, but it's with an author. His name is uh, David Morris. He wrote uh, Scrum and Easy Steps, uh, okay. and he's coming to us from Auckland, New Zealand. So wow! I can't wait to have him and the and the see what he's got to say. And uh, I think he's going to do some great stuff. Cool. All right, man. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate you taking time out for this. Yep, no problem. Thanks, Dave. Cool. Thanks. Five hundred. 500 what? <laughs> 500 fights? That's the number I figured when I was a kid. 500 street fights and you can consider yourself a legitimate tough guy. You need them for experience. To develop leather skin. So I got started. Of course, along the way, you stop thinking about being tough and all that. It stops being the point. Get past the silliness of it all. But then... After... You realize that's what you are. <laughs> 